Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, and thanks for listening, everyone. Some years ago, I read a book entitled The Opposable Mind by Roger L. Martin. The title was a reference to the most useful tool we enjoy, the opposable thumb, something few in God's creation enjoy. Humans and primates use the luxury of the opposable thumb to create tension between our fingers to grasp and manipulate objects. The essence of the opposable mind is the same, to use integrative thinking in order to create tension between ideas and apply the result of that tension to problems that thus far have escaped our mastery. The healthcare industry has begun the conversation with their ideas surrounding the social determinants of health and food insecurity being primary among those determinants listed. Historically, hunger or food insecurity is listed as a symptom of poverty. And as soon as the P word comes out, then most well-intentioned, good-hearted, reasonably intelligent people run and hide because no one wants to tackle the big, ugly, multifaceted problem called poverty. After all, it was Lyndon Baines Johnson who declared war on poverty in the 1960s, and 25 years later, Ronald Reagan, acting as referee and scorekeeper, declared that poverty had won. Several years ago, when I accepted the position of executive director for the Food Bank Council of Michigan, one of my mentors said to me, quote, When you take on hunger, Phil, you'll get poverty, housing, education, health, crime, and community problems all for free. End quote. Daunting, wouldn't you say? And while I don't disagree that food and insecurity impacts all these areas of life and more, I am not convinced that the task is so daunting that is unbreakable or unsolvable. By using the discipline of consideration and synthesis, I think we can hold two seemingly diametrically opposite ideas in our minds and conceive of a new solution that we've not considered before because we've only had thought of hunger and food insecurity as symptoms of a problem and not a cause. I'm excited to think for a change and think differently about how we can realize what Jerry, myself, and our network already believe as true. That hunger is not bigger than we are, it is not better than we are, and it is not beyond us to solve. Come back in a moment or two when Jerry Brisson joins me here in the studio to discuss what's next in our journey toward a food-secure Michigan. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. And we're back here on WJR Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. Great to be with you, Jerry. And um, so the opposable mind in was my monologue today and uh, is the ability to hold two seemingly opposite ideas about a topic, in our case, a solution for uh, hunger and creating food security that seemingly would work against one another. Yeah, sometimes. And I, I think one of the things I really like about uh, the guests we've had on our show is they're coming from a lot of different points of view on 
everything from, well, what causes hunger or what is it poverty that causes hunger? Is it low wages that cause hunger? Is it all economics or is it health? Is it my health that's causing it? I mean, is so, it education? Yeah, absolutely right. And all those or things come hope. up frequently, right? When we start down this path of not only why to solve it, but can it be solved? What are the things that make this persist as a problem? So in the, in the idea of the opposable mind, you're, ho- you're having a, we'll say, a traditional belief here. And now here's another idea about how to look at this thing differently than we've ever looked at it before. And we're not saying one's better or one's uh, greater than. We're saying it's different. And I think that both points have validity, and they should be considered. Right, and that's the discipline part of the opposable mind. I mean, it's the part that says when you hear something that doesn't necessarily resonate with you or it's not something you currently believe or think or even rubs against some of the things that you currently believe or think, your first responsibility is consideration. Yes. So I would think a a great note to our listeners here would be you're probably going to hear some things from time to time. I know this, like, probably has not even happened in the first year of the show, but could possibly happen, that at some point you're probably going to hear you or I say something that the listener doesn't quite agree with. That's okay. Don't unfriend us. Don't turn the (laughs) broadcast off. That's okay. It's okay to have a varying point of view or a different angle to look at this problem. We welcome those. Right. In fact, it's critical. Right. Part of what we're doing in this whole changing the conversation about food security is bringing people to the table who have very different points of view so that we can consider that point of view, not only to get support to end hunger, which is really important, but also to get the right answers to the question of what's really going to end this. Well, I I, let me let me quote. Roger Martin, again, from the book, The Opposable Mind, by using the discipline of consideration and synthesis, I think we can hold two seemingly opposite ideas in our minds and conceive a solution, a new solution that we've never considered before. Yeah, really, really powerful statement. And I think, Jerry, as we roll into year two on Food for Thought with the objective of changing the conversation, and I think we have changed the conversation to a degree in Michigan about food insecurity, but it's now it's, it's like we're going to the next level of changing the conversation. When someone over here might not agree exactly with what you and I say here on the show, and not that you and I would agree every time either, but... That's okay, and we welcome that because it's going to take us someplace new. Right. But you have to do the discipline of consideration and under and, and begin to understand the the point, the position that people are coming from, the framework of their belief system, so that you can synthesize that towards a solution. So, with that in mind, if 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 you're listening out there and you have a point of view that you would like to be heard. Where would we? Where would they go? So that I think that if they'd like to share that with you and I, they would go to foodsecuremichigan.org, and there's a contact button there. 
and you could just contact that put in fill in your 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 name and and uh and then there's a box there for comments so we would get the feedback yeah and i think that would be terrific you know food secure org, and go to contact and just put a comment we'd love to hear from you and what you're thinking about as you're listening to the show so here's what i think we should do for the rest of the show is take about one of these uh well-established ideas and you and I share maybe a little bit different viewpoint about that idea, that concept, and see what reaction we get. Good. Let's do it. All right. Come back and be with us. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be right back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. We're back here on WJR. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. So, Jerry... Uh, we've talked about the opposable mind, looking at something differently, um, a well-established concept here that's traditional, maybe even historical, that most people generally embrace. And then here you and I come walking down the road, and we see it a little bit different. I think that's pretty safe to say most things. A lot of things. <laughs> but in particularly, one of the big contributing factors to our work is the discussion about poverty. And as I said in the monologue, as soon as the P word comes up, many people run and hide because nobody wants to take on this big, multifaceted, ingrained, into our culture, into our society, economically, educationally, geographic, in every consideration, poverty's way too big. But you and I look at it a little bit different. Yeah, so... To the degree that um, hunger persists because of poverty, the one of the prevailing ideas is that if you're going to solve hunger, you have to solve poverty. And I think maybe even one on one of our first shows, you talked about somebody that you ran into that basically told you, if you're going to solve hunger, here's what you get for free. What were the, what was that list? Yeah. So she she's one of my mentors, and um and she said when you take on hunger, Phil. You get poverty, housing, education, health, crime, and all community problems for free. Right. In other words, they're all linked together, and you can't separate them. You can't solve one without solving it all. Oh, right? exactly right. So, so I, I think that there's another way to look at this problem, and we've talked about it a little bit on the show during the course of the year, but let's hit, the, hit it head on. And so rather than saying that poverty is a root cause of hunger, right, and making the root cause poverty and the symptom hunger. Mm -hmm. I want to turn that on its head and say, nope, I think that hunger is a root cause of poverty. So, so, and I, and I, and I want to start with the fundamental idea starts with Maslow, right? Right. That when Maslow says, what do people need? Mm -hmm. He starts with, they need their basic needs met first in order to get more self in order to get up the ladder of self-actualization or a perfect person or whatever that looks like right, right. so here's my question who's going to solve poverty who's going to solve it is it only people who have enough to eat today is it only people who are educated and wealthy that are going to solve poverty and if that's the case well then you don't need to solve hunger to solve poverty because they're not hungry and they're the ones that are going to solve poverty right Hmm. On the other hand, if your point of view is no, hunger or poverty on that on is going to be solved in part by the people who are hungry. 
Right. The people who are experiencing poverty and who are hungry are going to be an integral part of the solution. If you start from that premise that the people who are going to solve poverty are hungry now, at least some of them are hungry now, then you've got to solve hunger before you can solve poverty. Exactly. Because if we take that issue away and they and the people who are going to solve this no longer have to grapple with it, that will give them the time and energy and more effort to actually solve the problem. So now I know chicken and the egg, and, and we're going to hear chicken and the egg. Right. But I'm telling you, the chicken and the egg are both important, and we're not going to solve poverty unless we engage people in poverty in the solution. Absolutely. And I have to go back to a show we did early on and last year, and that we talked about four big tools in the, tool, in the toolbox to create food security. Without naming all four of them, one of them was personal responsibility that people who are in this situation of food insecurity take upon themselves to help solve it for themselves. So we've we've consistently said that. Now, if they could solve it all by themselves, they would have already solved it. Right. And let me say this. I believe from my experience of working with with people in poverty for a long time, they are solving it. They are solving it. In many, many cases, it's the people who are solving it for themselves. They're not getting on our radio show enough, probably, and we should do, we should address that, maybe get a few more on here so they can talk about how they solve their own problems every day. Sure. But the truth is that a lot of the everyday problems are being solved by the people experiencing it firsthand. And, and I, I don't think that that story gets told enough. But it does lead into your idea, your opposable mind, and looking at poverty. And I, and I understand chicken and egg, chicken and egg, but a tenet that we absolutely believe, and if you can just believe that this is more true than not— you don't have to believe it's absolutely true. You just have to come to the place where, you know, the the pendulum in your mind tilts a little more toward, yes, this is more true than it's not. And here's the truth. If you're hungry, you only have one problem. Right. Because your mind under the toxic stress of food insecurity, you're not free to think about the other problems and issues that are in your life that are result that that make you be live stay in poverty so educational opportunities or job training or health care or any of the other th- problems that you may be facing in a person may be facing their minds not free to solve and work on those problems because they're living in the toxic stress of food insecurity now if you can believe that that's m- more true than than untrue then you and I can have a conversation. And I think that's right. And I think by by looking at this whole issue of food insecurity from the top down, from the bottom up, and from the sides in, right? So that we're imagining if we're going to include everyone in the solution because it's going to take everyone to solve this. If that's our premise, then, then we are obligated to solve the issue of hunger for the people that need to be part of this solution, or they won't be able to engage fully in the way that we need them to. So let's recap for just a moment here. What you're saying, based on Maslow's hierarchy of need, that the the highest need is actually the lowest on the on the triangle, right. is physiological, air, water, food. Yeah. And and Maslow teaches us that 
if your physiological needs aren't met, then you're not free to move to the second level or the third level or the fourth level or the fifth level. Right. And so we have to meet that physiological need first in a person's life. They have to have that need met. And so what you're saying, Jerry, and what we're saying together, I think, is that if you can pull hunger or food insecurity out of that poverty matrix and address food insecurity in a person's life and help them create that, they're already doing it for themselves, but then help them get all the way to food secure, what's next? I think, I think that's the right question. I, and and the, other, the other way I look at that is, so what's the cheapest problem to solve? If we're looking at all the things that contribute to poverty and all the things that poverty contributes to, what, what can we do that's the least expensive that has the most impact? So I, I posit that solving food security is one of the least expensive, most impactful things we can do. And it's not just because it's, it's taking care of the problem right now today. It gives hope. It gives confidence. It, it, we talked in the last show about how we, we translate value. We communicate value, that is, when we feed each other, right? So as we're con- communicating a higher value to the whole community by saying, we're going to make sure this problem is taken care of, we're creating a better system. We're creating a better likelihood that the people who we need to solve this problem are going to be at the table to solve it with us. So it's, I don't think it's that complicated to understand, but it takes a different effort than simply doing what we've always done. So we got to have a different conversation, thus the radio show. We got to bring more people to that table, and then we've got to start talking about concretely then, how did it make a difference? When we brought these people to the table and took this problem away from them, how were they able to contribute more to not only their solution, but the whole solution? And so the the problem isn't solved just from the top down, right? It's solved by everybody being together at the table, top, bottom, and sides. Yeah, I love love that top, bottom, and sides. And I think that's what we're trying to do with the radio show food for thought here on wjr and our podcast and all the things that that have gone into the first year of the production of this show is to bring different voices to the table and and find out what they think and what they believe regarding food insecurity so this a little we're going to pick this up carry it over into the next segment but um it's a posable mind it's a different way to look at poverty and food insecurity We want you to come back and be with Jerry and I. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and we're continuing the conversation about the opposable mind. Jerry, when you kind of dropped a bomb there for folks and how the we look and view poverty and food insecurity as it as it is in wrapped up in the that multifaceted, multi-layered problem. Um 
nice discussion in between segments here, but you got a couple of thoughts for us. Yeah, well, you know, probably the only thing I, I, I love feeling just a little uncomfortable about is talking about tops and bottoms, right? Who's on the top and who's on the bottom? And I, and I was talking about economic terms. The top are the people that have and the bottom are the people that are poor. So I, I want to be really clear. Um, we got to turn that upside down too, right? That who's on the top is the person that has uh, a, a life that that's fulfilling, that they're living their values, that they're loving their children, that they have friends and family, right? That that when we talk about what the top is, I want to be careful to say it's not just about economics, right? right. We, that's often how we talk about it, but but that there's a lot more to that conversation, and that's part of what we all contribute to this, right? And I will tell you this, as many times as I've been in the soup kitchen and asked people, how you doing today? And as many times as I've heard, I'm blessed. Hmm. It shocks you, right? You don't right. think that's going to be the answer you get. And yet, in so many instances, that is exactly how people feel. Well, I'll tell you what. If you can if you can live a life in poverty and still feel blessed, that is a value we all need some of. Right. No matter what your socioeconomic status. And I'm going to say it's more valuable than money. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. At the end of the day. Now, that's a big thing to say. And, I, and you know, money's a little bit easier to comprehend and figure out what to do to get it, whereas feeling blessed in spite of the fact that you don't have it is harder to understand and harder to get to. But fundamentally, I think those are part of the key things that will solve poverty. Right. You know, and, yeah. and I would say this. Churches have known this for centuries. Hmm. Churches have known this for centuries, how we bond together as a community and put something above our own needs mm-hmm. is what fundamentally drives health and happiness. Now, again, these are, you know, I'm not going to go on a litany of research projects on this one. Right. So I'm going out a little bit on a limb here, but I do think it's important as we understand what root causes are and what symptoms are that 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 when we look at solving food security as something you do first because it's a root cause, because it communicates value, because it takes an issue off the table that enables people to be more present to the issues in their life and have the things that they value rise higher than this very base issue of food security. I think we're taking the top and putting it on the bottom and the bottom on the top, and I think we have to do that. Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, a primary ob- objective of this show is to ha- be able to have change the conversation, which means you have to have different conversations. In order to do that, you have to look at things differently. Now, when you look at the concept of food insecurity is a root cause of poverty and not vice versa, it causes you to look at things through a different lens. You see things differently. So, for example, it, it causes you to, to, I guess, think differently. So here might be, here's a common objection that we hear, not often, but sometimes, and that would be people should be responsible to feed themselves and feed their own children. And um, when you give them food, you're enabling them to live a supported lifestyle. Okay? So I would listen to that. And I've read those emails, and you have for sure, and 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 letters, and and uh, and and I've had those conversations, and you have. Okay, here's what I'm not trying to win an argument; I'm trying to win the person, and 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 that's the difference. So I want to understand why they're saying what they're saying. But beyond that, I would say, if 
you're food insecure, and we believe, more, more so than not, that you only have one problem, then what we're doing by making helping a person and their family become food secure, we're enabling them to tackle the other problems that are contributing to their life and, and the lack of, of quality of life. Because if you're hungry, you only have one problem. And that's the problem that people need you to help solve. Yeah, I also think that, you know, we have we have said many times on this show that we have to understand impact, right? And so when somebody says you're enabling someone to live less responsibly because you're taking this problem away, well, what do we really know about that? What does anybody know about that? I mean, that is taking a leap. Now, it may be based in my personal experience. It may be based in things I've read other people say. It may be based in, in several different things. But, but you're fundamentally making a statement about impact. You're saying the impact of your work is you're enabling someone to be lazy because you're taking this care of this problem for them. Right. So to which I usually say... Well, let's let's talk about what do we know about what makes people lazy? Hmm. Is having safety net systems in place the thing that makes people lazy? Or are there other things that are more important if that's the problem we're or, trying or, to solve? Or larger contributing factors. Exactly right. So so and then you say, Well well then what's the cost benefit of addressing the issue of laziness? Tell me the things you want to do to solve laziness. So if you say, well, what I really want to do is create more suffering for that person because suffering is what's going to motivate them to go to work. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't know of any evidence that points to that truth except to the people who can say, in my own experience, in my own life, my parents made me suffer. They made me do chores. They made me do things that that gave me a work ethic that drove my success for today. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to take that away from anyone. And I do think there's a truth to that. But when you get beyond your own family and your own parents and the love you knew you had from them and the environment you were in that also contributed to that work ethic and you put yourself completely outside of that in a situation where you're dealing with strangers, I don't think you can honestly say that causing people to suffer more creates anything fundamentally good. No, it, it, it doesn't. And I don't think you would find any experiential uh, data that would support that. I don't think I, I, I don't think you, you would. So what we're saying is that in this in this show and now we drop the bomb here, we see poverty and its relation to food insecurity differently as we have an opposable mind view and we, we it causes us to see other things differently. So you know one of the other ideas that comes to me, particularly in my life, in my work of advocating on behalf of the work of the, the Food Bank Council network, is, um, is when I'm dealing with, with, uh, with elected officials, and, and I hear this story. Well, my grandfather came, he immigrated to this country, and he never took a dime of charity or help from anyone, and he picked himself up, and he grew this and started this business and made it happen, and that's what all these other people should do, too. So, again, I want to understand why that statement's being made, and I think it's a tremendous example. I mean, I, I applaud Grandpa for coming over and doing that, 
But to look at everyone who is a part of the safety net and taking advantage of those programs and those helps that are there and saying that they don't have the same drive or ambition or abilities of of what Grandpa did when he immigrated over, I think is justly unfair. Well, it's always dangerous to take a story and assume that all of the things that made that story work out well are true for all of the other people who look similar, right? So it's generalizing. It's It really is what it is, is it's overgeneralizing by saying, well, my grandpa looked a lot like you, the, whatever poor person you're pointing to, and he did it this way. And so therefore, you should be able to do it that way too. What you're doing essentially is generalizing. Now, the truth is, I think all of us can learn something from your grandpa. I think I could. I mean, sure. I think I'm a pretty motivated, pretty successful person in a lot of ways, but there's probably things that your grandpa did that I could learn from, as could any one of us. But what I would what I would strongly suggest is that there's also learning that goes the other way. That as we get to know the people in the stories of who we serve and what they're up against and, and the environment they're in today, that as we take what we know from our grandpa and then what we know from their life and we synthesize that, we're going to have solutions that neither they nor my grandpa knew. The, dis- and, the discipline of consideration. That's what it is. And synthesis. So here's here's the root problem with that, and I don't know if we're going to get to pick this up at all, but... That overgeneralization, when it's done by a legislator, leads to policy. And those policies don't help us create food security in a person's life. In fact, they become roadblocks to it. And have unintended consequences of making things worse. Absolutely. And that's, that's the problem with it right there. So we need to keep having that conversation. And that's why we're doing the show. That's why we want you to go to foodsecuremichigan.org. Hit the contact button and leave us your thoughts, even if they're opposable to ours. We want to hear from you. Uh, But if you do agree with us, we'd like to hear those too. Yeah, right. In fact, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, we're going to be right back in just a minute. This is Food for Thought. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. I love this show. Good. I don't, I don't know if anybody else does, but I love this show. <laughs> I love having this conversation, and particularly, um, this is going to be one of my favorite shows because of the opposable mind. I like to hear different views and different viewpoints. It makes me better. makes me sharper. It might not change my mind, but it makes me believe, know that what I think I believe, it either reinforces it or it it takes me to a, a deeper level of, of better thought. Yeah. So I hope that's doing it for you, and I hope that's doing it for you, the listeners, as well. And thanks for listening, by the way. Um, so, Jerry, I feel the need that we probably need to put a bow on this idea that we have um, that that food security uh, causes poverty and not vice versa. Yeah, so that goes to me, and, and I, I'm going to tell just a little story of when I when I was looking to come to work for Gleaners 12 years ago, a little bit more than that. And Augie Fernandez was the president of Gleaners at the time, and he said to me, Jerry, he said, you know, 
Part of the reason I'm involved with this work is because I believe that the mind that could have solved every cancer we've ever known, that could have solved food production into the permanent future, that could have fixed every technological problem we've ever been faced with, that those minds have been born into the world already. But many of them have been born as children in poverty. And those minds were never nourished enough that we ever got the benefit of those solutions. Wow. Now, uh, that that was a powerful thing for him to say and absolutely uh, helped me think about how I want to spend the next handful of my life at that time. And, of course, I, I took the job at Gleaners. I've been there ever since. Um, but I know that there's substantial research that says from conception to five years old, Having proper nourishment has a significant impact on the development of children. And if you have enough children who don't get the proper nourishment, those children are going to contribute to poverty. They are going to be poor. They're going to become poor. And the farther on the poverty scale that they start out at, they're going to get further down, right? So, mm-hmm. so in that case, there's no doubt in my mind that food insecurity is causing poverty. So turn that around. What you just said was powerful. Now turn that around. What's the antithesis of that? What if those children are food secure? What happens? Well, I think if, if that mind is nourished enough that all that that person is going to bring to the world in terms of ideas and solutions and the own work of their back. I mean, you know, all of those things are going to contribute to a better world and a better community and a world and a community that we all want to be part of even more than we do today. So the point being is chances are they're not going to be in poverty. Right. Right. Whereas, Unless they choose it, which is a different thing. And that's another, that's, we probably will never do that show. But <laughs> the point that we're making here is that food security is contributing to the poverty lifestyle. It's embedding people. It's trapping people in that. Whereas we believe that hunger can be solved, food security can be created, because we can pull this one element or layer, if you would, of poverty out. Right. And create food security in a person's life, which will enable them to solve many of the other problems they have in their life themselves. Exactly right. And I don't want anyone to be confused about we still have to work on systemic issues. We still have to work from the other side. Sure. But, but while we're doing that other work, we have got to look, look. If we know that food security helps from conception to five years old, once a kid gets into school, you know, and it's, again, researched that not having enough nourishment means you don't learn as well. Right. It means it takes a lot more time to learn, and it also takes your focus away from learning. So even if you had the ability to learn, you're spending your time thinking about, how am I going to get a sandwich? And it keeps going up from grade school to high school to college. I will tell you, we have pantries on college campuses because we know that one of the things we can do for college kids who already have everything put together, they've made it to college, but they're dropping out because they can't solve this problem. Now, how many? Well, we don't know yet. But we, but we hear it often enough, and we're present at these colleges enough to know if we can take food security off the table for this college student, they have a better chance of graduating. And all of that drives the, the premise that food insecurity is causing poverty, not just the other way around. I think one of the core beliefs I have in this work, Jerry, is I believe hunger can be solved when we create food security 
because we can pull it out of the multi-layered problem of poverty. Yes. That's why I think it can be solved. Yep. Because we can pull it out. Yep. If it stays a part of the multi-faceted, layered problem of poverty, then I have to agree with my mentor when she said, you get all these other problems when you take on hunger. Because yeah. they're all interlinked. But I think we can pull this out. And if we look at that differently than, than that we've looked at it historically, I think it takes us to new places, and those places have new solutions. Yep, I agree. Well, it's time for a little food for thought. A mentor of mine, John Maxwell, wrote in his book, Thinking for a Change, this. It's true. Most people are more satisfied with old problems than committed to finding new solutions. Well, not us. Not in the food bank world. We are striving to learn, to be better, to be better, more efficient, better users of our resources, and make the best decisions possible. We are smart dedicated, and yet willing to learn. Because we know when you combine your thoughts with the thoughts of others, you'll come up with thoughts that you've never had before. Jerry and I welcome your thoughts about our show and invite you to listen here on WJR. Subscribe to Food for Thought through iTunes or your Google store. Find us at foodsecuremichigan.org. And don't forget to click on comment, contact us, and leave us a comment. Volunteer at your food bank or pantry that serves your community we always want to encourage you to do so and you can find that information at fbcmish.org come back next week with jerry brisson and i when we return with more intrigue and insight about the great mission of creating food security across michigan thanks for listening and until next time remember food first folks food first Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.